I am delighted to be joined today by Leng Montgomery, Diversity and Inclusion Leader, Trans Specialist and TEDx Speaker. Leng, welcome to Daring to be Different. Thank you. Lovely to be here today. I first saw you at an LGBT conference um, in London a few years ago. I don't ask where it was. It was a few years ago. You were speaking about trans visibility and inclusion. And I was very struck by your candid, humorous style. How on earth did you get involved in speaking about inclusion? It's, that's a really good question, actually, because I do a lot of public speaking now and even did a TED talk. But actually, I'm quite shy. <laughs> that's one thing I realised. <laughs> um, I think really from like this year, I'm going to be celebrating 13 years of transitioning. And wow. I think the main thing that I felt and also when I first came out at 15 as a lesbian, I mean, I'm a bit too hairy to be one down, so I don't say I'm one anymore. Uh, and even though I have got 10 varieties of tea in my cupboard and good with cats, so some stereotypes <laughs> do exist, unfortunately. In that but, you know, but what I realised there is that I think in a lot of situations, that, you know, particularly from trans experience, even lesbians, actually, to a degree, sometimes I, on other LGBT and non-binary and queer and intersex sort of identities within, you know, this sort of conglomerate that we all are. I feel that actually our stories are not being shared enough. You know, like we still, there's still new emergencies about our history. You know, the amount of people that were friends for many years and actually they were in relationships. So, you know, that erasure that's been in place. So I think what prompted me to want to talk more about and, you know, speak up more was the fact that I wanted to feel more represented, but also I felt that I wanted to add my voice to many other voices rather than having a narrative where people are talking about us. And also it was a lack of representation because, I just have not I, I mean the last few years it's changed a little bit but particularly when I first came out I wasn't seeing or hearing much from any other trans masculine or trans men particularly yeah. I also don't have a career in media I'm also not really of a performative kind of leaning or you know have that sort of visibility so I wanted to find a way of just sort of finding my own voice and also sharing my own story but also just you know, navigating how I connect with the world and reflecting on things that we can all think about, but also reflect on what's good as well, because I've had so many positive experiences as well. So I think it's good to hear a positive story as well that isn't just linked to really negative statistics all the time, or there's a sort of heavy feeling or people feel this sort of standoffish, like, oh, oh, now we know now, now how do we have this conversation? And it becomes a bit awkward and you find yourself just talking about the Northern Line a lot or things like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, how to have that sort of conversation so I think that's really what prompted me to do that. It's, it's quite interesting though because in order to do that you need to make yourself very vulnerable and I know when I came out as autistic and I've written plays using a lot of my personal experience about autism and autism traits and stuff but once it goes out there you can't take it back and that vulnerability a lot of people connect with but you are still left a little bit exposed. How do you, how do you deal with people knowing that much about you? I think, you know, I've had to really get comfortable with that very quickly because, you know, even with my name, it's a very unique name. Yes. I know there's only one of me. So <laughs> therefore, there's no hiding it now. There's no going back, you know, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. But also, I, that, I do feel that vulnerability. I still check myself in a lot of situations I'm still even though I'm quite comfortable to tell people about myself because I don't like people trying to use it as a sort of surprise element or oh guess what you know he's not really you know I sometimes like to just come from the front of it be like yeah this is who I am but there's many other assets and factors and layers to me and intersections that make me who I am I'm not just yeah. one thing 
Wow. I, I mean, it is, it is brave to be out there. And, you know, you said, did you say it was 14 years ago that you... 13 now. Yeah. 13 years ago. I mean, and, you know, let's not forget, it's, it's 2022 now, but it was a different place then. I mean, even in that, that period of time, the world has changed a lot, hasn't it? It really has. And it continues to. And I think, you know, some in, you know, when I first sort of came out, I felt there was some great strides forward. But now I feel we've moved into a place where there's actually for, especially for LGBTQ equality overall, it's taking some massive steps backwards at the moment. And for example, when I first came out, I felt quite hopeful and I felt a little bit nervous, but there, but, you know, with some of the things that have been happening, particularly in the UK media of late, and actually just some of the inequalities that I'm seeing and the rise of hate and violence, you know, there are times which I've definitely felt the last couple of years where I've actually felt quite scared. And I've never felt that before in my life, partly because I feel that I have to sometimes have to justify what's going on. Or if there has been an instance of something transphobic happening or something hostile or negative, having to explain what's wrong with that, because people think, oh, well, people just think that and they don't think that has an impact. It's that sort of death by a thousand paper cuts. So it's that drip, drip, drip effect of, you know, I would just like there to be a, in terms of media coverage, it would be really refreshing to hear and see more things actually produced by trans and non-binary people it would also be really good if there could actually be some positive stories rather than just scare stories that are just wrapped around a wedge issue of bringing into question or the suggestion of women's safety or the safety of our children because that does divide people and that's very manipulative so it's not a nice place to be in or then or followed by very high rates of you know attempted suicide or suicide or other things around that you know it doesn't make you feel very great sometimes so I I was going to ask you um, about that because I I wrote my my last play that I put out um, how to drop a piano I actually wrote it specifically for someone that I met online called Mabs B who is a trans and autistic actor and I sort of got to know them and I said I want to write a play for you but I was very very conscious that I didn't want to write a play about them being trans and autistic but I just wanted them to be and I created a character called River who talks about being typecast because in the, in the play they're, they're an actor and in real life uh, Mabs is an actor and you know one of the quotes is, is I say that if I get offered one more trans zombie apocalypse role you know I'm going to scream and so I was going to ask you about that kind of trans representation because when I just try to write a play about a person in a situation, you don't have to be trans to be trans, do you? Do you know what I mean? It's like so frustrating. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I think it's important to, you know, in situations, especially in that context, you know, I think, yes, it's about having accurate representation. You know, for example, some of the best stories we've heard that have had female characters written, sometimes have been men doing that, you know yeah. what I mean? But I think that in certain situations, I think as long as there's really good consultation with people from that community, especially when you don't share a lived experience, it's good yes. to sense check and ask those questions, you know, to avoid really negative stereotypes perhaps being portrayed and stuff but I just think that to that point it's really important to just be mindful and that's what I think is in there and I think sometimes there's been some criticism that's emerged because actually what's been happening is I think there's been such a lack of representation and opportunity so naturally people feel a bit more protective it's like hang on there should be more opportunity here but 
I think with inclusion, we've got to stop thinking of it as a reductive or zero sum exercise. Inclusion for me is about addition or it's about adding to things. It's broadening things out. Yeah. So I think that there needs to be, yes, there does need to be more stuff out there that that's promoted positively that's produced by people that are trans and non-binary. But saying that, I think in terms of people that are allies or people that want to tell stories of positivity or having lots of different perspectives and angles to things, there is a space for that. But I just think mindfulness is key. It is. And I all, all my plays are sort of deal with sexuality and then neurodiversity as well. And when it comes to casting, that kind of layering of difference is, t- is tricky for casting because I might be able to find a lesbian, for example, that is like a lesbian in real life, but they might not have ADHD as well. And that whole debate has come up a lot uh, around who can play what. Is that OK? Yeah. And again, I think like particularly when it comes to those areas as well, it's about finding who's available in those roles. And also, I think that if you're if you're a cisgender person that's going to play the role of a trans person, I think there definitely needs to be coaching that they have appropriately yes. to know what to do with that character. You know, but also I think in any instance, there should be a really good thorough search for someone that's trans or non-binary initially, yes. depending on the casting and stuff in the first instance. And then it's a case definitely of we are going to have to broaden now this is what we do however there will be you know sort of consultation or at least some collaboration there because yeah otherwise it nothing will get made otherwise no but it's but it is arrogant to think that you can can represent a voice that you haven't you know you haven't got access to because of like you said shared experience isn't there absolutely cool so um you mentioned your ted talk a minute ago um, back in 2018, how did you how did you land that gig, Lang? Seriously, that's amazing. Well, I um I was approached by Ted, and it's quite a probably inappropriate story, but I was drunk at the time. I thought I dreamt it, so I'm dyslexic <laughs> actually myself, and um, I was actually quite amazed the following mornings. The following morning, I remember it was Meghan and Harry's wedding. Right. So I was really hungover watching the royal wedding, and and I had that thought. I thought I'd been drunk the night before, and I thought. Did I really think that? Something like that woke up thinking, I think I've agreed to do a TED talk. And I was like, <laughs> and the only thing, no, anyway, I was just sort of drunk, you know, scrolling on my phone. And I was like, and I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, oh, thank you, drunk me. And also, drunk me spelled everything perfectly as well. And the grammar was spot on, which normally <laughs> I cock up on the <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And also, then I was like, <gasps> Because it was, in terms of public speaking, it was the biggest thing I've ever done. It was in the Royal Festival Hall. There were 2,000 people in there that day. Um, Fortunately, it's dark in there because, I mean, when I first got on the stage, I remember thinking, well, two things. I thought I was going to be sick, actually, because I was really Yeah. The coaching that I had and the people at the TEDx London team were fantastic. Like Marianne Pasha, who's the director there, she was really good at coaching everyone with how to speak and bring it together. She's also brilliant when it came to working with someone like me who's dyslexic, because I can't follow a script very well. You know, some people can read things line by line and do it. I just, I can't retain. So what we really rehearsed was like, what am I taking off? statement was what my landing would be and then the bits in between and it worked and wow it felt really empowering to do it because at one point I was worried that what my messaging and everything I wanted to do wasn't quite coming together and I nearly pulled out but I kept going and I'm really really pleased I did because it's really since going through that experience it's really changed how I speak how I how I approach topics and makes me think really consciously in terms of what's in there but also the main thing was you know the the message the overall message in my talk which was about letting people tell their own stories and let's listen for them and actually myth bust 
and find out things I was really keen to do and I found it was really critical and I wanted to have that voice out there and I thought if I hadn't have done it I'd have that that would have been a massive regret on my part and also that was such an honor and such an opportunity to have in life that sometimes I think we all sometimes we might have to push ourselves out of our comfort zone a little bit or find a way that we can just be like you know what I'm gonna do this and I'm pleased I did because you know the previous version of myself would never have done that <laughs> at all and also I regret the shirt I was wearing that day as well oh. but you know, can't have it all <laughs> a, fashion, a fashion regret is forgivable though I think <laughs> yeah. I mean basically the French I, I remember Queer Eye was very popular at that okay and that French tuck fashion from Tan France was like the thing <laughs> but the French tuck does not look good on everyone and as I've learned but you know it's just it is one of those things but I think really it's the content of what I was talking about that yeah. I think people will even notice and think about rather than what I was wearing that's just more what I felt yeah no that's absolutely I and mean, what a, a landmark thing to to, to do I mean TED Talks up there in bucket list isn't it of things that people want to do um, it's great you've got that under your belt already you know on top of that I mean seriously you were a MasterChef in 2014 as the first openly trans contestant as well how, how important was that MasterChef I mean <laughs> wow yeah, I just I applied and just had a go that's how I saw it because I love cooking and I still yeah. I still cook quite a bit but I, the thing I learned from that process I'm definitely not a competitive cook I'm not I, when I cook it's not about yeah I'm gonna and it's very high pressure environment I mean it, actually hilariously I think transitioning was less stressed than going on that show in some way. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'd be like you know be like I'm gonna make a piece of stuff. here you go time you go and you're just like ah! <laughs> and then and it also when I watch it now you know when sometimes I used to be one of those people that shouted at the telly a bit you know okay we've all done why are you doing that but seriously your head goes in that situation like and for some reason and it's not that anyone suggests it to makes it but you'll get this idea of I know I'll just try and cook things out of a complete style that I wouldn't normally do or oh I've never done that and then you're like that's why you look like a headless chicken sometimes running around because you're just sort of in that situation but Again, the things that I would share with anyone now that was ever going to go on there, yeah. really think about what kind of food you know, and if you're presented with any set of ingredients, what are your go-to ways of doing? And there are also some other things. So it's always good to know how to make certain sauces from scratch really okay. well. Yeah. Know a bit of pastry. And one thing that seems to be popular over the last few years, I always look for patterns in things, is know how to make some pasta or something like that, because that can really help you in those situations. Okay, so this is just confirmed that I am never going to apply for MasterChef. Thank you for confirming that. Um, that's that's insane that you did that. Do they teach you anything while you're there? Or like, is there any lessons behind the scenes where they say, look, this is how you put this together? Nope. No, you are literally on your own. Wow. It, you are in at the deep end like so I think the way that people survive in there is quite and it is real proper in at the deep end sort of stuff and it is like you hit the ground really running <laughs> and yeah that's one thing I noticed about it but then in some areas like that was just before I was working well I've, I was starting to work in diversity and inclusion at a very early stage of career but now in later stage of career now when I've had more sort of senior roles and stuff like that that mindset or I think having situations that sometimes really pushes you out of the comfort zone and you've had to just sink or swim and I've made mistakes but I've always learned something from that and I've just learned now to what have I taken away from a situation and also what can I take forward but what should I also address I'm always sort of looking at how I can evolve and improve on stuff partly because I think for you know for quite a few years one thing I did talk about in the TED talk was being quite excluded from the job market okay so yeah I used to get really really nervous with interviews I think because of my experiences 
and also just feeling that there's sort of like a sort of it's almost like knowing what the secret code is you know like what are you meant to say or what are you really meant to say in these situations and you know it took a lot of practice and also but I do also think that a lot of organizations are still not prepared enough for what how they're going to include and employ someone that's trans or non-binary coming from outside of the organization coming in but there's a lot more policy and procedure in terms of how to support someone if they transition at work. So it's like, what do we do when it happens inside? But they're still not thinking about. And I have noticed that, you know, when I've looked at things like LinkedIn or people that I know in my peer group. A lot of people that are trans and non-binary, very, unless they've left the companies, they haven't progressed much in okay. terms. I haven't seen them getting many promotions. or So they seem to either really stay somewhere or their career sort of ends up changing quite a bit, or they end up a bit stuck. So if ever, you know, in the last few years, if I've wanted a pay rise, to be entirely honest, and sometimes if that hasn't really been much of an option where I've been internally, I've left and got one else. So you you feel, okay, so there are some restrictions and some almost like blockers, obstacles internally that people can't quite get over. What what advice would you give to any employers listening to this, you know, hearing you say that? I think specifically, you know, sort of when you're looking at diversity and inclusion and equity, it has to be embedded in everything you're doing. Um, you also have, it has to really overlay very actively. It has to stop being seen as this fluffy side of HR or a sort of silo type activity that suddenly is this thing that adds to everything else. It works in partnership with everything. So I think really looking effectively across all aspects of your employee life cycle, I think is a really important point. Also looking at engagement, looking at your data as well. I think that's really, really critical to look at actually who feels comfortable to be open. Because if you feel that, you know, when we talk about people bringing their whole selves to work and all that kind of stuff, well, that's great. And that's a lovely aspiration. It makes us all feel good. But actually, our data can sometimes tell you a different story just by who's not engaging, actually. You know, because if people don't feel that sense of belonging or that connection, then I find that typically then they won't be engaging as much with things and they won't feel safe or comfortable to really be who they are at work. So that to me is a really good indicator of sometimes I use sort of sexual orientation, uh, you know, categories that we have, particularly if we're in countries where we can declare that openly. So if we're looking at UK and Ireland perspective or America or other countries on a voluntary basis, never mandatory, because I think that's the other aspect as well. Look at what people are voluntarily wanting to share as well. But that to me has been a really good indicator. That's my little sort of quick um, temperature gauge in terms of how open is the culture. Yeah. No, I think that's a fair shout. And, you know, you, you say there not to make it mandatory. You know, I, I sort of think that you should make it mandatory that you have to complete it. You can put nothing, 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 nothing. Mm. I'm not telling you anything. And I, I feel because it is such a challenge to get data for people through apathy and, and various other reasons that I sort of feel like it should be mandatory just to fill it in, even if you just... No, so I find but, even if people are saying prefer not to say, exactly. at least they've shown some opinion. But when they leave it totally blank, I'm like, that's really interesting. No, I totally agree with you. So you're, you are so open. And I, I really, you know, just wanted to ask you, has there been negative reactions? I mean, like, you know, strong reactions. Have you had that like in public when you've been out or within friendship groups? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think when I first transitioned and even now, there are certain friends I've definitely lost in the process. And there are some people that I realised before, they just... It's not it's not like a very conscious like you're trans, you don't want to be your friend thing. But I have noticed invitations for things have dwindled or people haven't always 
been as close to me as maybe they were before. In certain open hostility situations that I have had, you know, where some people have known that I've had a trans identity, I've had people making some really nasty comments before I've been spat up before really? I punk. Gosh. Um, and these came from lesbians and gay men. So I think, again, so when we talk about allyship or looking at what's going on, we have to look at our own community a little bit as well, because I think that, you know, there can be some hostility out there. In other situations, I've found that when some people have found out that I am trans, I've found it's very subtle, but I found they've behaved very differently to me afterwards. So sometimes some people become a little bit standoffish or less open with me and a bit less friendly than perhaps they were before okay. you know so it's quite subtle but it's it's noted and there's some people that I think just look at me with a bit of suspicion or I found that there definitely seems to be an issue because when some people have tried to interact with me they've been going through whatever a negative headline is or what do I think about children or I or you know a use or 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 making something well, you clearly support X, Y, Z. And I'm like, well, actually, can you actually ask me a question? That's quite a loaded. Yeah. And also, like anyone else, sometimes I'm like, I would just like to get a drink or I'd like to actually get my bit of food before we're suddenly launching into, well, I've heard this or I heard this podcast, and especially when they're not trans themselves. And I, I just sometimes get very annoyed with that. Or I've had people asking me really inappropriate questions or even patting me. Like I've had people checking how trans I'm. So I've had people patting me. Oh, you're joking. All of that area. And I was told that, you know, oh, I'm a man. I should be able to take it or I should be less sensitive. And once someone actually said, when I said I really don't like being spoken to or treated like that, I was actually asked, are you due a hormone shot? <gasps> you're joking. Wow. Yeah. And Gosh. but the patting my groin area I found really inappropriate and not okay. And because it was someone female that was doing it, I said, Look, if I was to do anything near your chest, there'd be a very clear word or clear definition of what I was doing. Yes, exactly. Why is it why is it any different? Wow. And I was told that I needed to grow a pair and man up. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It really is. And and how do you deal with it? I mean, what do you what do you say to people? Do you try educate or do you just Actually, I find myself I find myself code switching, actually, when I'm in a hostile situation, actually. And I recently was in one as well where I had someone that was being very inappropriate around me. But they're also coming up with some other delightful pearls, such as, you know, sort of apparently trans people. Well, firstly, they asked me why I did this to myself. That was really, like, quite Wow. Followed by also saying apparently trans people would have an easy time if they were less angry. So I thought so. And they were coming out with a lot of other tropes that were quite so I thought okay if I react in any way mm-hmm. I have to be careful I also feel that now given that obviously if it's a situation that involves someone female I'm really careful of how I how I am because because of me being male typically if I was described as being aggressive or yeah. threatening or all these things it's it's not going to be it's not going to go very well in those situations for me so I found actually, interestingly enough, I feel that actually I retreat more. I, I go into myself a lot more. I go a lot. I go a lot smaller. I go a lot softer in how I speak, um, just because I don't like there to be any misconception or misconstruing of the situation of what's happened. But it's it's difficult. So you're having to change your behaviour because of their ill-informed behaviour, really. When someone's behaving inappropriately, yeah. I've realised, and I do feel this about having a trans identity, and I see it more and more. I'm in some situations, I'm already in a bit of a lose-lose situation. So therefore, I think, how can I navigate it, or what what are my best options to be? And it isn't fair, no. and that is something that's very frustrating. Um, 
but at the same time if i know that but i don't want to be accused of being aggressive because the thing is if people would say oh leng he was really aggressive to me unless they knew me well they'd be like oh well, he's a man and then straight away there would be a very clear yeah you know or being you know i wouldn't want to be accused of being like i don't know verbally abusive towards someone or something like that you know yeah. because they've asked me a load of questions when in my mind i want to tell them to fuck off yes actually, yeah. i can't do that and i know that or well, people go see see he takes testosterone it makes him aggressive it does that you know it's wow. all this stuff we know that's out there so again what am i meant to do so i end up having to in effect just take a step back and actually take it and i don't like it no why should you have to do that i mean you, again you're compensating for their bad behavior it's it's shocking and i you're older now but it, I, I just wonder you've had to grow up through all this um in a time that was worse than now although you know you have said it you felt unsafe recently if you could talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to them? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, when I first came out, I was 15. That was when Section 28 was in place. So, again, I've been used to having basically who I am, yeah. which I feel yeah. that's the thing that I find so rage-inducing about the debate that happens around basically who you are or who you love, which yes. is basically sexual orientation and gender identity. We tell people to be themselves. We have all this messaging, but then when people, you know, for me, coming out, it, it means different things to different people, obviously. But I think one thing that does unite everyone in their coming out, whatever, in Candation is it's about being honest. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. And I still cannot get my head around it that we're still in 2022 and who you are and who you love is up for a debate. It is. It is. And not harming anyone with that, you know. And in fact, people use that to justify putting harm onto us. And I find that really, really disturbing. And I find it appalling that people even try and legitimize that. No, and, and, and there is there is no defense of that. Quite quite frankly, and you've had to grow up and shoulder a lot of that and take responsibility on for what they've been doing to manage their reactions, which is it's shocking and 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 no place to be, to be honest. Yeah, and I, you know, just the annoying challenges where we get told about promoting our lifestyles and stuff. And I'm just like, I've had to sit in offices where people are talking about bloody Love Island, which I think is a really gross <laughs> promotion of heteronormativity in the most vilest of senses. But, yeah. you know, that's my view. But of course, I don't want to be the spoil sport for a party or sometimes not joining in conversations where people talk about holiday destinations that legally I shouldn't really be in. You know, it's kind yeah. of a bit of a funny one. <laughs> yeah, we but then people then getting annoyed that I'm like, hi, I've got an ally or pride flag. And they're a bit like, Hmm, yeah, uh, <laughs> or one day at Pride, we're like, yeah, well, we love this. It's really happy and nice. And I'm like, actually, it's rooted in us still trying to get rights. <laughs> it is, it is, isn't it? And I, and I, I wonder, um, is, is there anything out there that that is supportive of you? And if I think about the bigger world, because I've been talking to a lot of people about how they've taken strength from art, from music, from museums and theatre, and you know things that we've been deprived of quite a lot during lockdown but is there anything that you can get strength from with outside like sort of the bigger culture side of it I think it's seeing an increase in certain spaces or certain places that you can be where actually there's a lot of an emphasis of more inclusion so I think actually art is an area that I'm definitely starting to feel more engaged with because I've just seen it it's been very nice and affirming to see actually that 
more you know different types of art galleries have had to have been a lot more clear about pictures or they're curating things that are actually telling more stories i think some areas of media as well because media is not all bad you know and i feel that you know things can get very polarized in certain ways but actually there are certain things where i'm seeing you know certain representations starting to emerge on screen or in other formats or just being able to go to a bookshop and seeing there are things written by trans authors now i'm seeing them quite actively or yeah stuff like that so there are there's a lot of good stuff happening and I think you know seeing some of the people that are quite visible role models or people that are activists or people that are just quite really good representation for you know overall LGBT community on things like Instagram and things like that on some of their stories and stuff like it's been really nice to see that and actually seeing people that have been very clear and visible allies too that I think has been really lovely because it counteracts the noise in terms of that's out there and actually just it does remind me that people care. But I think ultimately the people that I choose to be around or the people that I centre or will focus my attentions on, you know, that has been really affirming too. And actually one thing that's been really comforting to me has been a lot of workplaces, seeing internally the journeys that people have gone on, but actually how supportive people are or how more people are appearing and just being like actually if I've if not just because I've spoken at their organization but hearing what people are doing or knowing that actually they're like we want to do more what what would be the best steps to do that and seeing that there's that proactive hunger to do that which has been really really affirming so you know it's not all bad um but it's also it's just there's still a lot to do and I think that's really the um the crooks of the matter at the moment. I think you're absolutely right. Do you feel, though, from what you just said, that when you have a personal interaction with people, maybe they've not met a trans person before, and that they actually, once they kind of meet you and talk to you and realise that, what you know, what is the, what is the worry, that that helps? Does, is that true? I definitely think that by hearing more people tell their stories, it's more impactful. Yeah. And there's been other projects out there, like, you know, the Human Library, for example, that has sometimes different people with lots of different backgrounds and people are taken out like a book and it, it provides a space for conversation. I mean, that's the thing that we need is better conversation rather than just a barrage of information about people being spoken about or written about in certain ways. And also whenever bias is emerging in any situation, the thing that I typically will say to someone, if they're saying, oh, this group of people are like this, that, you know, sort of thing, I'll say, well, do you know anyone from that? And sometimes they're like, well, have you got a friend, you know, have you got any friends that, oh, no. And I'm like, right, okay, maybe you should actually talk to a person directly. And I think, you know, yes, technology is a great enabler in some ways, but it's created a lot of division or it's created more polarity in others. And I think in days where we would actually just have more direct interactions with each other, and obviously the pandemic hasn't helped for that either. But I do think that where we get moments where we can have people that actually are looking at each other more, you realise that actually someone is a human rather than just this, rather than all these stereotypes and scare stories that sort of creates sort of illusions of people I think when people see people as a human and it reminds us of certain things of our values and what we actually do have in common also difference is something that we can get comfortable with you know sort of I I do enjoy to have if if they're respectful and they're put in a nice way of how the conversation's going I'm very comfortable to sit with people that have massively opposing views to mine as well because I think that those differences are really important but the main point is that we listen to each other and we will be respectful and we're not going to get personal or start turning everything into like a mudslinging match or like who's or turning into a competition you know who's won the conversation who's won the debate it's not about that it's I think we have to stop 
going so you know we're not machines basically and I don't like the combative way that things are getting structured into because it's really killing discourse it's killing conversation and it's not actually allowing anything to really flow because it's just one extreme or another it's either you're on this side or that side and that's it yeah and and there are no sides there's just people and it's not as we're seeing, it's not bringing out the best in people, it's dividing people more. And actually, you know, it's not nice to think, I don't like to approach any situation, even though sometimes I have a lot of people that might be hostile towards me or potentially hostile to me. I don't like thinking I'm in a war all the time. No, you know, no. I don't like that warlike sort of evoking of thoughts because it's very, it's a level of conflict that I think is unnecessary in some ways. And we all have to remember that we are all still humans. We yeah. have to remember the remember this heart that we have in us. We have to use it a bit more. I know. That's what uh, really well said. That's a, that's a really good point. So so you are making a difference and you are daring to be different and working within the inclusion space. What are you working on at the moment? Lots of things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I think with inclusion, lots of people think diversity and inclusion might be like doing events and stuff. But as you may know as well, it can be many different things. So it can be working on strategies, doing focus groups. And again, I love the sides of my job I love the most actually is where I'm connecting with people more and hearing their perspectives, but also helping organizations come up with solutions because, you know, never underestimate the power of people. Yeah. That's the thing that I've never, ever lost. And I really, really love seeing. And there are so many people out there that actually they do want to make a difference. They just don't know how. And at the moment, people are being kind of stilted by fear. And also ultimately, you know, the two questions that I think I'm always answering um, with my work and that I'm always working around is it's always a lot of work's focus is on can I say that followed by what can I do so it's sort <laughs> okay. of how I do things <laughs> Brilliant. get the moving around but I love it you know I really love my job I find that every organization I work with or at the moment I have clients so they can be very different and they're very diverse in where they're at, their mindsets. I've been working more globally as well. So it's been really nice to, you know, looking at things through not just a European or British sort of lens. Yeah. It's been really interesting to see how different cultural identity and also how that can also be incorporated. Because with diversity and inclusion, one size doesn't fit all. You have to make sure you're being relevant to people. But also, it's really, I find it just really fascinating to learn different cultural ways of working and the ways that people think and the way that they act because their history and who they are is really important because we bring so much of ourselves into what we do that it's important not to erase that but it's also nice to learn from that as well um, and that's one thing I found really interesting so yeah that's sort of what I do mostly and I've also been doing quite a bit of public speaking recently as well and just planning different things I also like designing training as well so that's been one thing I've been really enjoying because I want it to be more accessible and impactful for people yeah. because as I say, having dyslexia myself and also with the way that my brain works as well, I'm a little bit creative. So I do, you know, obviously I, I understand why strategic things have to be in place or why the theory of things needs diagrams and stuff. But if it's just all about the theory of this and that people can get lost in it. Yeah. And I found that, where, again, I just think coming from a sort of direct response and maybe more solution orientated space. Yeah. One thing that DEI, so diversity and inclusion and equity, has been sort of criticised for is being kind of woke or all these things. <laughs> yeah. But actually, 
I feel that it's because I think some some bits of it people haven't quite understood. So if we're too theoretical and we expect someone to be like, oh, well, I get it. And people feel like they're part of some secret elite group that's like, yeah, I know what secret is. You know, I'm like, this is not doing a magic eye puzzle, you know. So, okay, explain what bias is, what, what they can do on all those levels, but actually what they actually are, but also examples that people can relate to. Because I find, that, again, the key to, for people being more inclusive is empathy. So the more that they can relate to it or it's familiar to them in certain ways or even having scenarios or situations that they go, oh, that's what that's about. So if we're talking about microaggressions and micro inequities, et cetera, you know, suddenly getting some examples of that when people are like, what the hell is that word? You know, but then you said, all right, who's heard where are you from? Where are you really from? And then they're like, oh, so that's what's wrong with that. Or that's why it fell off. I was like, yes, that's what it is. You know, suddenly people are like, okay, they're listening again. You've got them back in the room. Brilliant. Brilliant. Demystifying it. I really look forward to seeing you public speak again. I always enjoy it when I see you on the stage, Len. Thank you. So thank you for daring to be different and changing the game for trans people. My final question to you today is what would your strapline or hashtag be that captures your energy? What you see isn't what you get. <laughs> that's fantastic what you see isn't what you get Leng thank you very much thank you very much it was a great privilege to chat with Leng today and hear about his experiences of coming out and the journey that he's been on of self-discovery but more than that he stood up and spoke out so that other trans people would have a role model and an understanding of what it takes to to embark upon that journey. And I think it's from this personal bravery of sharing that authentic experience, you know, the good and the bad, the, the things that hurt, as well as the things that are, are rewarding and positive. And I think that's what we need more role models to stand up and speak out and be brave and be counted. Thank you so much, Lang, for daring to be different. <laughs>